My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. Well, it's good to be back here at Zion Stone. Uh, Over the years, I've become a friend of this congregation. Um, And my friendship with this congregation uh, begins because I have a friendship with Uh, your pastor, Pastor Mike. So if you don't know, Mike and I went to seminary together many years ago. Uh, He's away on vacation this week, and he's in Florida with his mother and father. So pray for him, and I'm sure he's going to have a wonderful time. Um, I always say Pastor Mike was like the smartest guy in our seminary uh, class. Uh, He's probably the main reason I graduated. And uh, he and Shantae have been faithful friends to me over the last few years, so I'm grateful to be here. Um... Today's sermon is going to be based on that last parable uh, that Cindy read for us. It's called the parable of the wheat and the weeds. This parable lies in Matthew chapter 13. And in Matthew chapter 13, there's all kinds of stories that Jesus tells. And he says this over and over again. He says, the kingdom can be compared to this. Or the kingdom is like this. That's because the Gospel of Matthew is the Gospel of the Kingdom. Matthew is like 28 chapters, but 60 times in this book, the word kingdom is used. Sometimes it says kingdom of heaven. Uh, Sometimes it says kingdom of God. Sometimes it just says kingdom. So what is the kingdom? Like, what does this word kingdom mean? If the Gospel writer uses it 60 times, and Jesus says it over and over again, it might be important for us to know what this term kingdom means. Means. All right, so I'm going to give you a definition of the kingdom. This is the, the, the Mark Evans definition. There might be better definitions out there. But here's, here's my definition of the kingdom of God based on Matthew. The spaces and places where King Jesus rules and reigns. The kingdom of God are the spaces and places where, the king, where king Jesus rules and reigns. Now that might seem a little bit abstract. That might be, seem a little distant to us. Let's see if we can learn about this kingdom from Jesus. In the story that Jesus tells, he says there is a a master, a landowner. And the landowner has servants. The landowner plants seed. He's in charge. He plants seed. And when his servants go to sleep, an enemy comes in and plants weeds. When the servants wake up, they go to the master and they're panicked. And they go, Master, there's weeds in our field now. We were planting wheat, but now there's weeds. What should we do? Should we gather up the weeds right now? And the master says, no, no, don't do that. Because if you do that, then you might tear up the wheat as well. Wait. Wait until the harvest time. Wait until the time is right for us to gather up the good fruit and what we'll do is we'll gather up everything and then we'll separate out the weeds from the wheat. With the, wheat, with the weeds, we're going to put them into bundles and we're going to burn them. They're not useful to the master anymore. He says, but with the wheat, we'll put it into my barns. And so Jesus tells this story to a multitude and then his disciples come to him and say, Jesus, like, what does it mean? 
What does it mean? It's one of the few parables that Jesus tells us exactly what it means. We don't have to wonder. Jesus says, as his disciples gather around him, he says, Do you have ears to hear? Let me tell you what it means. Now it might, you, you young people, you might know this already. I see a lot of young people out there. You might have already figured out what it means. But for us older people, we need like prompts. So we need Jesus to tell us what it means. What does this story mean? Jesus says, basically, the son of man is the master. Jesus is saying, I'm the master. And Jesus says, the enemy, the one that sneaks in, he says, that's the devil. He says, the angels are the servants. And he says, at the end of the age, there will be a judgment. And in this judgment, people will be separated out. For those who aren't a part of the family of God, there will be a real painful experience for them. But for those who are in the family of God, they will experience the joys of eternity with Christ. The, uh, they will shine, Jesus says, they will shine like the sun. Now that might seem like a simple story, but I want you to remember four things from this story. Can you remember four things? First, and these all come from Jesus, Jesus' explanation. One, there is a real enemy. There's a real enemy. According to Jesus, the devil is real. He is not an idea. He's a person. He has power and he plants seeds. He plants seeds of doubt. According to this text, he plants sins, seeds of sin. He promotes lawlessness. That's what Jesus said. And he, this, this enemy is real. And he wants you and I to do what he's always wanted humans to do. Just like he did to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3 in the garden. He loves to say to you and I what he said to them. Do you remember what he said to Adam and Eve in the garden? He said, did God actually say that? Is that, is that what God actually said? One of the main tactics that the, tactics that the enemy uses to plant wicked seeds is to get people to question the things that God has said so clearly. God has spoken approximately 750,000 words to us in his scripture. And he's helped us to understand the gospel of his son through church history. In this particular parable, not only does Jesus tell the story, but he actually gives us the explanation. He tells us what it means. Yet as Americans and kind of American Christians... We talk about truth as if it's always like a mystery wrapped in a riddle. And we can't really understand it. But Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. He wants to explain his truth to us. Jesus tries to be as clear as possible with his gospel, doesn't he? So the devil comes to us and says, did God really say that he created all that we see? Because this is where our doubts, this is where our doubts creep in, isn't it? Do, do we really believe that God created the heavens and the earth? Did God really send his only son to earth to take on flesh? Did God actually live a perfect life in his son? Did Jesus really resurrect from the dead? And when we get into the moral teachings from God's word, did God really say we shouldn't have sex before we're married? Did, did God really command us to be utterly committed to our spouses? Did God really say male and female, he created humans? 
Did God really say that every week there's a day set apart for worship and rest? Did God really teach us to set aside a portion of our income to be returned to him in tithes and offerings? And the answer to all these questions is yes, he did really say these things. He did actually say these things. And we, we hear so many voices in our age and it tempts us and it says, oh, is, that, is that really what God says? Does, has God really given me his word so that my life might go better as I trust in him? He really has. So, first thing, the devil is real. Second thing I want you to remember is the master knows everything. In the story, the master knows everything. Do you remember in the story? The servants of the master, they come to the master and they're, they're a little panicked. They feel like this whole situation is getting out of control. The master is cool, he's calm, and he's collected. The master is not surprised when he finds out that there's an enemy that's planted weeds in his, in his field. He's not surprised. The master is not upset. The master is not dismayed. The master knows exactly what's going on. Nothing is ultimately outside of his oversight. And in this story, if you'll notice, the servants of the master, they go to sleep. Just like servants do, right? Humans, that's what humans do. In this story, the, the servants are angels. They sleep. The master doesn't sleep. He's aware of everything. Completely aware of everything. Nothing is ultimately outside of the master's oversight. My friends, do you believe in a big God like that? Do you believe in a God who ultimately has this world and your life in his hands? I think this is one of the most difficult lessons for Christians to learn. It's been the, one of the most difficult lessons for me to learn. Not only does the master know everything, he's ultimately directing everything. He's directed that his people live in a world that is simultaneously a blessing. This is the world we live in. This world is simultaneously a blessing and full of sin, deception, pain, and heartache. That's, as, as God even oversees the world that you and I live in, he's a king on a throne right now. And we're a part of his kingdom right now. This world is simultaneously a blessing and it's very cool and there are so many great things. I see kids and grandkids here and relationships and friendships and marriage and all the, the, the blessings of a building like this and a home and this world is also simultaneously painful, right? We live in a world of sin, deception, pain and heartache. How many of you are to that point in your life where you listen to a news program or read an article and you are just utterly distraught at it sometimes? In other words, when you sit back and look at the direction of our world, it makes you sometimes sad or angry. Let, let's, let's make it personal. How many of you feel like in your personal life you've suffered so much or lost so much that you shudder to think about getting any more bad news? Anybody? You, you're not sure you could take one more rough diagnosis from your doctor. That's many of us. So maybe some of us are actually avoiding the doctor because we can't face the possibility of bad news. Anybody ever been there? You just didn't want to go? I do not have simple answers to these questions except to say Jesus is a king on a throne. 
He's trustworthy. You can trust him, and I would add you must trust him. He is our only hope. And he reminds us that he, all over his word, he reminds us that he's a gentle shepherd. In this story, he's a master. But he's gentle the whole time. As I was thinking about this this week, a master who knows everything, and, and we, he's trustworthy. We can place our lives in his hands. I thought of Psalm 139, where it reminds us that all the days ordained for us were written in the Lord's book before one of them came to be. The Lord knows. The Lord knows and nothing is taking him by surprise. Thirdly, I want to remind you, the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ demands a final judgment. We do not, as Americans, we do not like this idea that the rule and the reign of Christ, the kingdom of God, demands a final ju ju judgment. We can try to avoid the reality that a vast part of Jesus' explanation of this parable in this text, when he explains it, he does focus on the final judgment. He focuses on it. Jesus uh, particularly focus on, focuses on the fate, the fate of the ones affected by the enemy. Jesus says in verses 40 to 42 of Matthew 13, Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers. And he will throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is graphic. Jesus does not hide the reality of a final judgment. Jesus is not unclear about the reality of punishment for those who disregard him and his commands. And we can do all kinds of linguistic gymnastics, but Jesus is clear. Hell is not an idea. Jesus here calls it a place. It's a place reserved for the devil and those who spend their lives carrying out the lawlessness of the devil. This is a sobering truth that our Lord does not hide in the corners of his ministry. Jesus talks often about punishment for lawbreakers. And he's not ashamed to be considered the great and final judge. Now I want to examine why this, this idea about Jesus as the final judge, the reality of hell, it seems to bother us as Americans or American Christians. It does, it does rub us the wrong way. But I, I want to approach this in some way logically. In the story, there is a master. And in many of Jesus' parables, there's a king. And the way Jesus describes lawlessness or lawbreakers are people that say, King, I do not want your authority in my life. I don't believe you're trustworthy. I don't believe following the king would be the best way for me. I don't believe that trusting in the king would be the best lifestyle. So in, in parables over and over again, Lawbreakers are those who look at the king and they go, I don't want your authority. And they shake their fist at, at the king and they don't like the king. They don't like the master. Now why would we think that in the eternal kingdom, those people would want to be with the king? 
If for their whole lives they did not want the authority of the king, they didn't want the love of the king, they didn't want the provision of the king, they didn't want the kindness of the king, they didn't want the commands of the king, we should not expect that in the eternal kingdom they would want to be with him. They will not want to be. They will not want to be. That's the reality of eternal punishment. It is, in one sense, a king giving people over to what they wanted. And what they wanted was separation from the king. Now that bothers us as Americans. But interestingly, that's not where the parable ends. It doesn't end with judgment and punishment. Do you remember where the parable ended? How did it end? In verse 43, Jesus says something like this. This is the final point. The children of the kingdom will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. The children of the kingdom will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who are the children of the kingdom? I saw a person just go like this. Who are the children of the kingdom? Well, at first glance, we might say, well, if the weeds are people who involve themselves in wickedness and lawlessness, then we might have a really simple answer and say something like this. Well, the children of the kingdom are the moral people. Well, that's not what Jesus says. The children of the kingdom consider God their father. He says the children of the king, they consider God their father. These are not just good people. These are people who look at the Trinity and they go, Ah, oh, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that's my God. They love God. They honor God. They esteem God. They appreciate God. Isn't that the way you feel about a good father? Now, I, I recognize not everybody here was blessed with a good father. I was, by God's grace. And we love him. We honor him. We esteem him. We look up to him. And that's what the children of the kingdom do. They appreciate God the Father and his Son. To them, he's not an idea. He's their loving Father. Because God is their Father, they have a Holy Spirit which causes them to obey him. In this text, they are called what? They're the children of the Son, but he says, Jesus says, they are the righteous. They are the righteous. Oh, they're the righteous because they always do the right thing? Well, no. Certainly righteousness is imputed to us by faith in Jesus Christ. We receive the righteousness of Christ by faith. But the ones marked by God, the ones that have the real God in their life, have, by God's goodness, a lived-out obedience. They do grow in obedience to God. God causes His children, by His love, to obey His commands. The kingdom of God is forever. And it will be fully consummated when Jesus Christ returns to judge the living and the dead. See, there is an eternal kingdom. There is an eternal kingdom. But the kingdom of God was first inaugurated 
at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, or you could say it was finally inaugurated at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, in one sense, we are living under the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ now if we are in him by faith. So if somebody goes like this, when I say, who are the children of the kingdom of God? And you go like this, that's absolutely right. We are the children of the kingdom because we are children of the king by faith. There is an eternal kingdom though. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. A finally consummated kingdom. A new heaven as Revelation teaches us. And a new earth that will come down by God's grace. And the children of the king will shine like the sun. And live and rule and reign with Jesus Christ for all eternity. This world is a blessing. It is very cool. And we're grateful for it. And we are in the kingdom of our Lord, but there will be a fully consummated kingdom at the return of Jesus Christ that will make this world, uh, this, the joys of this world will pale in comparison to the joys in the next. The, the kingdom of God, according to the Gospel of Matthew, is also here and now. It has been established and it is expanding right now by the grace of God. The rule in the reign of Jesus Christ is real today. And by God's grace, the body of Christ, the believers in Jesus Christ, despite our sins and our flaws, we do shine like the sun. We are different than the world. We have a different mentality. We have a different mindset. We have a different value system. And we don't have it because of us. We have it because the light of Jesus Christ shines in us and through us. It's Christ that we trust in, not ourselves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to remember the truths of Matthew 13. There is an enemy. You know everything. There is a judgment. And by faith, through Jesus, we shine. We're part of your family. You are our Father. In your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you are ever in the area, please join us for worship. We'd love to meet you. If you have any questions about what you heard, or if you would like prayer, please reach out to us on our Facebook page or our website, zionstoneucc.com. We also are raising funds for some repairs to our stained glass windows. So if you get a benefit from listening to this podcast, please head over to GoFundMe.com slash Zion Stone Church Repair Fund. God bless you and thanks for listening.